Hi, cuties. I miss you guys. Being bi-weekly is weird. It's so weird. We're back with another vaulted episode. This one is featuring Terry Westerby. We recorded this October 5th, 2022. And at the time of this recording, Terry was running to be the first trans man to hold any kind of office in Canada. I believe it was the following week after we recorded this that the elections were held. And Terry Westerby is now a school board trustee for the Chillax School District. Amazing opportunities have opened up for Terry since that time. Lots has actually happened in the media as well. I would be very interested to speak with Terry again and see what's what. I don't know. We'll have to stay tuned for season two, see if Terry's willing to come back and chat with me again. With all of that said, this interview was so informative. We actually did it super last minute, as you hear in the episode. Terry's name was passed on to me by one of my followers at the time, and that's how I got connected with him. It's such a good episode, so without further... Oh, actually, um, before we get into the episode, don't forget that at the end of the vaulted interview, I will be back for an after party where I share my present day thoughts on the interview and how it's impacting me right now, so stick around for that. For now... Let's get into it. Enjoy Terry Westerby. I'm so, so happy that we can make this work on such last minute, you know, notice. I literally was like, come to my house right now. (laughs) And here you are. Yeah. Yeah. I happen to have this time in my schedule. So I was really glad to make it work. I know. You're like, I have, I've had suggested like this morning and you're like, I have meetings and I'm like, no, cancel your day. (laughs) Come over. Oh, it's a beautiful day. Okay. First of all, the fact that it's Thanksgiving this weekend and I have to wear shorts to Thanksgiving. Hello. (laughs) I want to eat so much food. Yeah. It's going to be really nice. It's going to be hot. And I'm like, I feel bad for everybody that has to cook a turkey because your oven's (laughs) going to be on all damn day and you're going to be sweating. But whatever, I don't have to. Thank you, mom. Don't expect to have air conditioner on Thanksgiving weekend. Oh my gosh, right? (laughs) But then I think it's meant to cool down after, like for next week. It's starting to get quite cold in the evenings. Yeah, and it was so foggy this morning. Did you see all that? I did. Yeah, I drove home late at night because I actually went to Florence on the Machine last night. Oh! Oh, yeah. cool. We drove home around midnight and there was fog quite rolling in quite fast. So. Oh, man. Was that in Vancouver? It was. Uh, Rogers Arena. Oh. Yeah. She could command the crowd like Stop. no other. It oh, was my amazing. gosh. That's so fun. I haven't been to a concert in literally like three years. Oh, yeah. Well, I, yeah. It's like it's well, I guess. Yeah. COVID will do that. Right. Like, yeah, <laughs> there wasn't many concerts happening, I guess. I'm pretty excited that we're going to Post Malone in November. This will be our third third time seeing Post Malone. You might say we're fans, maybe <laughs> just a little bit. That was actually the last concert that we went to also was oh, Post Malone. Yeah. was a perfect opportunity. Full circle, right? Yeah. Um, okay. I want to dive in because as we know, this is squeezed into a day full of meetings for you. So <laughs> let's get to it. Can you tell all of us like who you are? What do you do for work? Yeah. Um, well, I'm. my journey starts really when I moved here to Chilliwack. Uh, I started in Yarrow. Okay. And I moved here. I, I trained in graphic design and I've done graphic design for 15 years and kind of hit this part in my life where I was at a crisis and I didn't know 
you know, who I was and before I had realized that I was a trans person. And um, so I moved out to Chilliwack to figure out who I was and what the world was all about. And um, I moved onto a farm and I moved into a trailer and I farmed for a couple of years and learned about, you know, the real world the hard way. <laughs> And uh, figured out that I was transgender and um, met the love of my life. And we're actually getting married in April. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. That's so exciting. So from there, I, I met a doctor in, in, in Chilliwack and we formed the Gender Support Network. And that was sort of my first taste of grassroots organizations. So um, things just sort of happened all organically, what, what unfolded for me in Chilliwack. Um, but right now I work for the United Way. It's a community builder position where we work with volunteers in the community to create events and initiatives that um, create connection and belonging so okay so when did you move to Chilliwack I moved to Yarrow in 20 I want to say 12 14 oh okay okay and where did you move from Maple Ridge I grew up in Maple Ridge I grew okay. I moved all over I even spent some time in Kelowna for a while but okay um at the end of the day I settled mostly in Chilliwack okay and so when you moved here you were saying you kind of like found yourself here mm -hmm. and you were kind of going through like the journey of like who am I what's going on all of that stuff how did you find yourself here what was it about Chilliwack that helped you with that um, I, when I worked on the farm, it was organic. And, um, so really learning about the raw nature of, of reality, like literally, mm. um, being out in the fields of, um, an organic farm where you're not using pesticides or heavily spraying, you're using methods like heavily weeding by hand. And, um, even then you're still seeing bugs everywhere and your crops are, you know, constantly destroyed and weather events that you can't control. And it was really a remarkable two years learning about how like nature is just so real and raw in its own form mm. and uh, <clears throat> what that means for me as a human being and it broke down my concept of like reality in a sense where gender wasn't wasn't something that was innate it was something that I could decide for myself like who I was and I didn't have to let the world tell me who I was so I learned that the most comfortable thing for me going forward was that I wanted to see myself age and be a man because mm. my whole life I had felt comfortable being you know an androgynous person but as I got older it became harder and harder to live without addressing the gender issues mm. that I was facing. So so would you say that you you knew, but you just weren't addressing it? Or yeah, when I first started coming of age and things started you know, blossoming, like who you were as a person, and then your, uh, they're called secondary sex characteristics, mm. um, your body essentially, okay. as it, you go through puberty. What happens to your body happens to it. it. depends on what your body is. Biologically, you don't have control over that. Right. But your expression and the way you express yourself and your identity, that's just who you are. Mm. And that's not something that you necessarily choose, but you can choose to embrace it or not and listen right. to who you want to be versus what society tells you to be. Was that a hard decision for you to embrace or to go the opposite direction of what you knew? Yeah. Oh, eventually it got to a point where I had to make a decision to tell people like I actually want to be called like he, him. Mm. And I've never changed my name because Terry is pretty androgynous. And right. um, the way it was spelt, I never felt an issue with it because uh, of how 
um, masculine I'm, I am. And mm. so people kind of have to ask me my pronouns because they're like, it's spelled feminine, but right. it looks masculine. So it prompts that question. And that's kind of what I'm going for is getting people to ask um, rather than assume. Right. So I didn't feel like I needed to change my name. Other than that, like I, I knew that I was very masculine. So when you announced to like your friends and family that this was something that you needed to do, was it received well? Was it scary for you to go into that kind of conversation or conversations? Like, tell us about the lead up for that. Yeah, it, it was a, a slow journey. In it seems slow for me, anyways. Right I mean, from the outside, it may have seemed very fast because it's all really internal. When I knew when I when I was young that I felt like I wanted to be a boy, but I thought that it was just a, a sexuality thing. Um, and that I was just wanting to date women. And so mm. as I proceeded in through life, I could dress as masculine as I wanted to and cut my hair short and date women. And it was never an issue for um, myself, for my family. But when I got closer to uh, realizing that I was, I did want to be a man, I, it was harder for me to come out. Like I had no problem being out a, as a, a lesbian. But when it came to coming out as a trans man, it was way harder for me. Mm. Um, but it was all me. It wasn't wasn't necessarily anything anyone said per se right um but <clears throat> when i did finally come out to my mom she was really good with it it just took some time to get her to understand right but she always always loved me and supports me and and she did eventually learn and understand what i was going for and now she's like my biggest ally and educates people about other trans people and stuff Aww. like that so yeah that's so like special because not everybody has that story so it's so beautiful that you you had that like immediate kind of acceptance and love. Why do you think it was harder for you to, it was it accept or was it just acknowledge the difference between like lesbian and trans? Uh, I think it's definitely accept, mm. it's definitely accept because, um, there's, there's lots of theories that my partner and I actually discuss what we think it might be. But I think at the end of the day, it's probably around shame because mm. We have had a lot of movement around gay rights, but not as much about trans rights. Mm -hmm. And um, especially when it comes to like androgyny and, and trans women, they, they have the brunt of the, the hate, really. Mm. Um, so it's, I think that has a lot to do with it is because of the way society still looks at trans people and um, how we haven't had a whole lot of conversation in our society about it. Right. One of the notions that I've heard kind of circulated before is that like well like it's it's more acceptable to be gay than to be trans or whatever mm -hmm. I'm always like well the trans people that are experiencing like this hate because you know other people don't understand it like they're the people that are hating they live in fear they don't understand and so they just spew hate but gay people from previous generations and these generations don't get me wrong but the previous generations experienced that explosive level of hate when being gay was quote new or or trendy as they call being trans right now and all of these things and it's like it's just a different we're just at a different place in that journey and so now it's deemed more acceptable it's viewed as more acceptable to be gay because people can like wrap their heads around it more it seems like mm -hmm. and it seems like being trans is just like it's it's like too new to 
like cis people, like they just don't understand it. And it's like this new phenomenon, which is why they view it as trendy or whatever, where like people have been experiencing this for forever. It's just been behind closed doors or like internally, or it's been very shameful, like you said. And so they're not, you know, out there like exposing it to the world. Of course not. Why, why would anybody put themselves in that situation if all they're going to get is like constant, just hate and berating. And yet now people do. And that's what's turning the tide, right? They're putting themselves out there. They're they're exposing themselves to all of this hate that's unfortunately going to come their way. And that's what's setting the stage for the next generations to be more accepted. Yeah, definitely. And and you can look back through history and see movements and how they change for people in, in a social way. Like it goes from being like, you're a complete outcast. You're mm-hmm. completely disregarded from society. You can't work. You can't get educated you can't get housing um it doesn't matter what minority i'm talking about there are i can mention any and they all have right. experienced what i've just mentioned and so as we go through you see rights gained like education you know you can't be discriminated against in education you can't be discriminated against in housing you can't be discriminated in workplaces and these are rights that people slowly gain and then as they gain them that means that they can then they have places, stable places to live. They have stable education. They have stable work. And then they pass that down through generations. And now that also means that we can become doctors and we can become politicians and we can create change in a much larger way other than just being able to exist in a fundamental level. Mm-hmm. And so that means that we become a diverse country and it makes us a better place. And so when you see trans people and gay people in, polit- in political positions, that means that we're doing well. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, I... <sighs> It's hard for me. Like I hesitated even with your intro. I had said in there that you were like the first trans man in Canada, I believe, right? To mm-hmm. to run for office in any capacity. I hesitated even putting that in there because as much as that is an accomplishment and something that needs to be celebrated, it also makes me sad that that's an accomplishment and needs to be celebrated because it should just be baseline. Like yeah. nobody is celebrating. I, I, had, I was talking to a friend about this this morning because I was like, am I being like overly dramatic by like feeling that hesitation. Like, what is that? I was like, nobody, I had Ian Carmichael on last week and I didn't put, you know, he's a straight white man running for mayor. I didn't put that in his intro because that's not something that needs to be said. Right. I I struggle with that. How how does that land with you? I'm a, I'm a, like a history buff. I really like history. Mm. And so, um, there was especially a time during, um, the whole black history month Mm. and they were doing a a first black firsts and people who uh, were black, who were doing all sorts of things for their time making history. What struck me is like, there was like the first black pilot and he didn't go out to be the first black pilot. He went out to do what he wanted to do. Right. And he achieved it despite all of the odds that he was facing. And now, um, like a hundred years later, people are celebrating the difference between then and now. So for me to to be the first trans person to be elected in Canada, to see and contrast the history of where we are and where we could be and where we should be. Um, that's sort of the anchor that I see it as. Mm. And when I get messages from kids all the time throughout my whole run um, saying, 
you know, thank you for being there. Thank you for stepping out. It makes a big difference to me. It, it um, it's going to change the world for, you know, trans youth that makes them more accepted. Um, it shows that we can be successful and that we're, we're no, we're normal people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where it matters. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it's representation. Um, and sometimes some things aren't visible. Like we need, we need representation all across the board and diversity. Like we, we need women representation and, and that's something that's visible, but some things aren't visible, like being trans and being gay. And so you kind of have to wave a bit of a flag. Right. So it's it you don't it shouldn't matter in that sense like no one should be like oh he's trans therefore he's qualified but it's like he's qualified and he's trans so it's an opportunity for representation it's just so hard for me because i just want to be past that stage and i just want to be at the place where we don't have to do that because Mm -hmm. it it, the just the representation is there and it's (laughs) probably sounds so like ridiculous coming from me like a, a a straight white woman to be saying that where it's just like I'm I'm very lucky to not have like experienced hate for existing you know and I can't imagine that feeling and it's so hard for me like I'm such an empath and I feel so deeply for people that are have been wronged and it it just makes me so sad and it makes me so angry and I just sometimes I'm like I don't know what to do with that because I just want to be like, I'm mad at you guys. You know, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I just wanted to go back for a moment when you were on the farm in Yarrow and all of this stuff, were you just like sifting through all these emotions and thoughts and all of this stuff on your own? Or did you have like, were you in therapy? Like, was there some kind of like support on the outside? Uh, I, no, I wish like I had, um, just a lot of shame around it. And Mm -hmm. so it wasn't until I really, it was the internet. Honestly, I would say the internet is my, was the, the real thing that brought me to realization. Okay. Um, so the biggest thing was when I was a, a teenager, the message that I got in general, like I couldn't say there was any specific person who said this, but the message that I got, I guess, from society is that um, you, you can't change your gender. That's not something you can do. Mm. So that was a lack of information that I had. Therefore, I spent the next 15 years suffering because my that information that you can change your gender was kept away from me. Mm. So by the time I was 28, I found the internet information where it showed you can change your gender. There was people who documented their transitions and showed befores and afters and what it, what, what it took and, and laid out the whole entire process. And that information changed everything. Um, I was able to process, I could change my gender. And as soon as I realized I could, this flood of like joy and relief came over me. And I had to then process like, can I do this? Can I change my life and go forward doing this? And eventually I I met my partner and she's very educated in the subject on top of being an incredibly supportive person. And, um, she kind of helped me see that it was okay and she guided me through the process of coming out and I actually had my first date with her the same day I had my first appointment uh, at the trans doctor in Vancouver. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so it was a fate. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about meant to be. Yeah, so um, that process was really just the knowledge of that I could. It was possible. Here's the steps. It's very accessible. Here's where you go. Um mm 
here's a here's a plan for you and then you just have to accept that this is this is who you are right um so really it's the knowledge and that's why we see this trend it's because the knowledge is now accessible to kids and and it's funny because i actually have a friend of mine whose kid is um, trans as well trans boy and he came out at um, six and he saw the same videos that I saw and he had the same revelation that I had. Wow. At, but at six. Wow. And so it makes me wonder, would I have had it at six if I had had the same knowledge? Mm. Um, maybe. Right. Right. I'm so amazed by people who are willing to put their whole life on its head because that's something that I struggle with. I'm always thinking about you know, how does this affect my family or my partner or whatever, all of these things, minor, major, whatever. I have the hardest time sometimes like putting myself first, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so when I hear stories like that, it just blows me away that you had the courage to do this thing that was literally changing your whole life and changing everything as you knew it and go forward with that. That's very courageous and clearly paid off. (laughs) Well, it almost felt like up until that point, I couldn't really fully invest in myself because I wasn't aligned with who I was mm. and everything felt wrong, which is why I kind of went to the farm to begin with. Everything just felt like um, like the world was lying to me about everything. And I eventually that got down to the very fundamentals of like how the world worked, mm. just literally to the raw fundamentals. And that just changed everything. Right. Um, learning how diverse nature actually is on its own and how um, the way we have seen it and have been told to see it in black and white and the way that we see like man controlling nature, like how Mm. humans, but that's just not how it's supposed to work. Right. It changed everything for me. So. I mean, when you say like, Oh, would I have had it at six or whatever? It's like in some ways, like, you know, when you're talking about your friend's kid, I'm like, Oh, like how beautiful that this this child gets to live more life than not being happy and being truly themselves and all of these things. But then at the same time, like, I guess, let me pose this as a question. Do you think that if you had, you know, had access to these things sooner, would you have made the same choice as soon, do you think? Like, would you have been courageous enough? If I had had the same revelation and the same feelings and known that that's something I would have wanted, I might have had less of the societal, Mm. like, concept in my mind of what I'm supposed to be because my whole life I've swallowed, I can't be a boy. Um, But if I knew earlier that that wasn't true, maybe I would have had less hard time coming out. Mm. Um, but also I think my parents would have had to have the knowledge too because I, that was a big fundamental piece of um, my little buddy is that his parents were also in on the knowledge and they were supportive mm. and they were understanding. So that was a big piece of it. And I don't know where my parents would have been at um, right. back then. I couldn't say. Yeah, I guess there's no way to speculate because it didn't happen that way. Yeah. <laughs> and the 80s was such a different time. Well, 90s really. Right. But yeah. That is very true. Yeah. Again, were we talking about this before we were recording? Yeah, like just the the young families mm-hmm. in Chilliwack that are like kind of starting to turn the like mainstream narrative in Chilliwack. We were just talking about like pride that had just happened and how w- what an amazing turnout and how many families were there and all of these things. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it's not necessarily just with Chilliwack. Like I think everywhere kind of a, a bit 
I hope a bit more of a tide is turning and that like there is bigger turnouts for events like pride, like with kids and things like that. That's what I was saying. There were so many kids there and it was so amazing because again, like your little buddy, like to have that, um, space and freedom to be able to explore and learn and decide and have access to the information makes all the difference Mm -hmm. to these kids as they grow up. The message that they receive um, when they come to Pride is that like you matter as you are Mm -hmm. and no matter what, you'll be accepted and loved. And that's really speaks to me because I worried when I came out to my parents that they wouldn't love me or accept me, even though that's crazy when I think about it in hindsight because they've never shown me anything but love and acceptance. And my little buddy had the same problem though. When he was six, his, his parents said they even for a few years after he used to transition, he was afraid to tell them things because he was worried they were going to stop loving him all of a sudden. Aww, yeah. And like he there's, she's like, I've, I don't know why he would feel that way. I've always shown him love and acceptance, but he, it's because that's what the world tells us. Especially right. when we look in the past, we know um, a lot of, and even today, um, LGBT people, especially youth, will get street entrenched because their parents reject them. Mm. And so that's something we all absorb. Right. Uh, and even a six-year-old boy whose parents tells him he loves him still absorbs that message. Yeah. So that's why it's really important. It's so powerful, right? Media and society mm. and these things. And that's why it's so important to me to amplify these voices, even on the small scale that I have right now you know like I would never want my kids to feel that and it and it's so sad it's so like it's so crazy how impactful it is right that we just take in all this information especially as kids they're taking in they're little sponges they just take in so much information and they're Mm -hmm. seeing all this stuff and they're taking it in and then they're exactly like you said absorbing that and carrying it with them yeah and like I've I my niece I have two nieces they're 10 and 6 and um I transitioned when my six-year-old niece was born. So okay. she's only known me as a guy, but my right. older niece um, was, I was, she was four, just about five. And uh, so she remembers and she, we talked about it a few times and she knows, and she actually b- buys things that are pink and blue because they're trans colors. And she's always shows me, she's so proud. Look at her, they're trans colors. And she, so she's really proud of that. She has a trans uncle. Right. And, um, despite that, um, the heteronormativity that's structured in her play, I see it in everything she does. It's boys, boy and girl, husband, boys wear pants. Oh, that has li- li- lipstick and eyelashes. That's a girl. Right. Um, it's so embedded in the messaging that, that even though they, she knows that's not reality, it's still embedded in her play and everything right. as like a fundamental sh- like fact. Yeah. It's so crazy to me. I see that play out like even with my kids. My oldest has just turned three and he, I was just telling you before we started recording, he has a Moana costume and when he first got it, we were like putting it on and I was like, okay, pass me Moana's shirt. Let's put it on. Okay. Pass me Moana's skirt. Let's put it on. And he got so embarrassed when I said, let's put on Moana's skirt. And he was like, don't look at me, mom. But he's like stepping into the skirt, but he's like, don't look at me, mom. And I'm like, why? What's wrong? Like what's going on? And I guess it kind of like scares me in some ways because my husband and I are nothing but like, we, we are so like, do whatever you want, be whoever you want, like play with whatever you want, watch whatever you want, you know, all of these things. And I'm like, where is he getting this information that he should be embarrassed if he's putting on a skirt or whatever. And, but then on the flip side of that, it's so interesting 
And if he's playing with something, I'll be like, oh, are you Moana Wilder? Or are you like, you know, whoever, whatever costume, like Ninja Wilder. And he's like, no, I'm just Wilder mom. And then there'll be times where I'm like, are you like the cutest boy of all time? And he's like, no, I'm just the cutest. He always like corrects me on that. And I'm like, ah, okay, you're right. And I'm like, and I say that, I'm like, you're absolutely right. You are the cutest or you are, you know, you're wild or you're whatever. And I think it's so interesting that at three years old, these things are coming out like from both sides, like from the embarrassment side and the I'm just wilder side. Well, that's around the age that people are you know, humans start to develop the sense of identity mm. and like have that ref- inner reflection uh, and who they actually are. It starts to come out. And that's why kids as young as three or four are starting to question their gender um, or the gender that's assigned to them. Right. Um, and some some people are really extreme in handing that gen- those gender roles over. So um, depending on that, I guess, depends on how much they push back. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I'm definitely not, I'm not suggesting anything one way or the other for my child, mm-hmm. like at all. It's such a learning moment for me when he tells me like, no, I'm just, I'm just wilder. I need to like be more aware of that. And like, I definitely try to, if he wants to hand the money over to the cashier or whatever. I'm like, can you give them the money, whatever? Because I don't want my children to grow up assuming anything. And also I don't want anybody to assume anything on their behalf. Mm. And I had told you before we started recording as well, like both my sons have never had a haircut. Wilder has very long hair. People assume for him all the time. They Mm -hmm. call him a girl all the time. And there is going to come a day where he's like, says to whoever, like either I'm just wilder or he's going to say I'm a boy or whatever. When Mm -hmm. they say, She's so cute, et cetera. And I just like, I want my kids to have the baseline be not assuming, you know? Like, yeah, definitely. I the just, respect. Yeah, of, totally. Like, asking what someone else's identity is yeah. like, not assuming, for sure. On the note of pronouns, I wanted to ask, because you, you've been like transitioned for years now, mm-hmm. how do you, I guess, respond and how does it feel at this point if somebody gets it wrong? Oh, it's still, it's different every time. Mm. Uh, it depends on the situation, the environment too, um, because it can often be for different reasons. I've noticed like sometimes I can tell right away, like, oh, they misgender me for this reason. Okay. Uh, and sometimes I'm like, How? why did you just misgender me? Right. Um, I've never really had anyone be so disrespectful to misgender me intentionally mm. um, without being like an actual like aggressive person who I wouldn't spend more than a second with right. anyway. Right. Um, I've had like people that I know accidentally do it. Usually they correct themselves right away or I, because I'm comfortable with them, I'm comfortable correcting them right um but when it's like a stranger and they misgender me in like a random situation i am usually just so stunned Mm. i i don't know what to do and for myself i'm not the kind of person to be like i don't like wasting energy so yeah if someone says something to me that i don't agree with but i'm never going to see them again and it didn't affect anybody i'm just gonna leave i don't need to say anything and so if someone misgenders me and i'm never going to see them again i don't usually make a big deal out of it it would be the same thing if i was a cis person that got just misgendered um but it usually makes me wonder like why did that happen Mm. i'm more of a cure it's more curious Mm. for me at this point Mm -hmm. but if i wasn't comfortable with who i was and my identity and my expression if i wasn't at this point where like i know who i am and i i i'm happy with who i am now it would make me feel very dysphoric so like there are parts of my body where i'm like oh i feel really girly 
right? Mm. Um, I'm not, I've gotten over like 99% of that and I don't feel that about my body at all. Like I understand like bodies are bodies and shapes are shapes. There's no such thing as girly parts of your body. But there are parts that can make someone feel like the wrong gender or like it makes them, reminds them that they're not in the right, their body's not right. Okay. And so being misgendered, they could, it could trigger that. Mm. Um, And I've had that happen before. I had all like my surgeries done so... I know what that feels like Mm -hmm. and it's very uncomfortable because it leaves you for uncomfortable for days. Right. Usually it would be like if someone was like, oh, uh, like your nose is like really ugly (laughs) or like something random about your face. And then all of a sudden you're just like obsessed with that part of your face for days. And then like maybe even years, like kind of a thing. It's like, you know how people can dig in at you. Yeah. Um, It's kind of, you could almost say it's like that. Mm. Yeah. And I think it helps a lot that my changes were visual mm. um, and that it's an automatic thing for them now because of the way I look. Um, that's really helpful. It's even to the point where like, um, so for me, my family's French and we have um, aunts and we call them taunt. Mm. So um, before I transitioned, I was taunt Terry to my niece. I've always liked the the name taunt terry mm-hmm. it didn't bother me that that's what they called me again it didn't trigger any dysphoria for me so i was happy to have the kids call me that they don't know what it means <laughs> right oh so they still call you that yeah oh my gosh and most people don't know what it means yeah 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 and especially when they go yeah so fast right yeah and so my mom now she's actually struggling to call me taunt terry because she's french and for her it means aunt and so she keeps calling me uncle terry and then she's like oh right no i forgot you'd call you taunt terry oh Okay. Um, so she actually struggles to continue just to call me feminine pronouns. Oh so. my gosh. Yeah. That's so like interesting. I, um, okay. I just want to switch gears for a minute here. Um, you are obviously running for school board. Mm-hmm. Is this your first like political run? It is. Yeah. Okay. How did you get into this world? Where does like your passion for like education systems come from? Uh, well, I think that um, it's a good question to ask now because I've done a lot of uh, backstory on how I've gotten um, into like these grassroots organizations mm-hmm. and why it matters to me, like all my personal experiences um, and then my little buddy's experiences and how the, for him, what it's been like in school. And um, also I've got friends with disability, uh, friends with children who have disabilities mm. and how they're really struggling in schools right now, like really badly. Mm. So for me, it started with the gender support network. And then um, we created something called the sexuality and gender equity committee through the Chilliwack healthier communities, which is um, this amazing organization of um it's really a committee, I guess, of all these different service provider organizations in Chilliwack who all have seats at this um, committee table and they all talk about what they do and what they need. And um, we have this program in Chilliwack called Every Door is the Right Door. So if someone comes in and say they are unhoused and they go to a service that provides housing and they say, I also have addiction issues, um, I need services to help me with my addiction, they won't just be like, oh, sorry, I go, go you're on your own, go Google it or something. Mm. They'll be like, oh, yeah, we've got these contacts. We'll, we'll get you an appointment with this service and that service. And so they're trying to prevent gaps in services in Chilliwack. Right. It's very helpful. Um, so a lot of it is to do with what the city's mandate is around inclusion and, and um, accessibility goals. So part of it is to have um, gender equity. So we've created the SAGE committee, we called it. 
And the very first thing we did with the community, uh, sorry, with the committee is to look at the school districts because of what's been going on with um, people with disabilities and um, people with gender um, diverse identities because of how they just continuously struggle. And even though we have SOGI, the implementation is a completely different story. Mm. So it's there, but it's a resource for teachers. And so the teachers need to have time to be able to access it and read it and use right. it take it all in, understand it. There's supposed to be SOGI leads in every school and there are, but um, whether or not they are doing as much as they need to do in that school particularly is with, that's what we, we looked into. Right. So we started looking really heavily into the schools, meeting with the SOGI leads, meeting with the SOGI reps and um, asking them what they were doing and comparing it to what the kids were telling us. And oh. uh, we just kept hitting all these brick walls. Okay, first of all, what is SOGI? Let's just okay, start Okay, yes, there. that's a good question. Okay, <laughs> so SOGI stands for Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity. Okay. Uh, so SOGI123 is resources for teachers that help them create lesson plans or alter their lesson plans that are in a more diverse way. So like you were saying, they, them kind mm. of things. You know, math is a lot of um, words, Right. So right. reading. So if you're going to create a lesson plan about math, this, this is a really basic example. <laughs> and you're going to give a, a paragraph. You would be able to diversify. So you wouldn't just say like Jack and Jill were married and blah, 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 blah. Like you would make it a diverse lesson plan that reflects right. the diverse identities of the students in your class. Um, and again, that was a really bad basic <laughs> example, but I think it gets the point across, yes. I hope. Yes. Um, so when you're, you're not just creating one message it's a message that all these identities exist we're going to create a lesson that reflects that they can see themselves and their families um in them right because a lot of children have two parents of the same sex right yeah and if the message they receive at school all the time is that the only parents that are valid are mom and dad yeah how are those children going to feel yeah totally so the idea for behind soji is teachers can take these resources and learn how to adapt their lesson plans to be more diverse it seems pretty basic but it requires a lot of time right and it's also um been um optional like it has not been oh. mandatory ever to use to these it. diversified lesson so plans. So the students still have m- the same issues just b- as before Soji. It doesn't change for them just because Soji's there. Right. The the idea behind Soji is it actually came from a 2016 bill. It's been it was added to the Bill of Rights that uh, gender identity is protected class and sexuality and gender identity. So you can't be discriminated against for being gay or being trans or gender diverse. Uh, and that comes all the way down to schools. So students have the human right Mm. to have a lesson plan that reflects their identity to this day it's optional the soji thing Mm -hmm. do you have any kind of like information or stats on like how many classrooms or schools are implementing this it's technically implemented in every school in the sense that there's a soji rep in every school Ah. and there's the teachers have access to it and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing as far as like having the meetings but whether the teachers are uptaking it that's optional and, and we we've never been told how many teachers uptake it or which teachers are doing it we we've even tried to figure out how who the soji reps are and it's just a lot and i know that like the teachers and the the 
district are like they've got their own stuff that they're working on so for us to come knocking at their door asking for all this information like i totally understand why they're trying to get back to us but it hasn't really worked out but um and we ourselves are also all volunteers working on this um committee and trying to make it work so there's lots of other reasons why we have not been able to get far but that's what directly led me to wanting to run to the for the school board is seeing the inner workings and hearing from the students and um knowing what's going on and how much better things could be Mm. if we weren't wasting all our time um, trying to explain to people why we shouldn't be banning books. And Mm. so much time is spent telling them, like, you can't ban these books. Like, stop talking about it. And we're constantly trying to fight for our our rights of having these books in our schools and having representation in our schools. It's literally unconstitutional to take them out Mm -hmm. and not represent the diverse students in the class. Right. So you had mentioned wanting to break walls. Actually, Mm -hmm. before we even get there, you heard from these students through being on these committees. This is where you got... Through the Gender Support Network, Chilliwack Pride Society, um, okay. we created something called the Trans Youth Alliance. Okay. Um, and just we have many connections in the community to the gender diverse and um, disabled youth. Mm-hmm. And what they've been experiencing is it's just really just points to a lack of, of allyship and support mm-hmm. on the district side because the staff is trying. You can tell how hard they're trying, but then it needs a whole working environment Mm -hmm. that creates that movement Mm -hmm. um and you know when your staff and your superiors aren't allowing movement you can only do so much and then you get burnout and now we have a teacher shortage so if we change that working environment we could actually have a flourishing um amazing progressive little uh, education and town so where do you start with that because it, it's like it snowballs right it's like this thing leads to that thing leads to burnout leads to teacher shortage mm-hmm. and it just snowballs like that so where do you trace back and start i think that a lot of it has to do with culture mm. and i think if we start by creating a culture of respect and and um agreeing that inclusion is our all all of our priorities and we can do that with an all-inclusive board. And by inclusive, I mean, you know, baseline human being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just understanding that you know, human rights exist and we all have a right to being represented. And like you say, amplify the voices of people who need to be heard so that there's representation of all of that, what they're going through. So that at the end of the day, it trickles down to what they experience in school and the justice that they should receive by being able to access their education. Mm. How big of a jump is that? Like how much work needs to be done? How long will this take? Do you predict? I would love to see a lot of progress in four years. I've met with so many teachers and parents and like all of them that I've met with. Um, So many reach out to me as well. And they're all working hard. And I think that they're, they're ready for this change. So with the support that I see in the community, I think that, that they will really rally behind this, this election if we see a full a progressive slate. I think that it could create a big wave of movement. Yeah. yeah. So um, politically illiterate <laughs> is my middle name. This is this is like been a trend here. Break it down for me like school board. How many people are on this? What does this mean? What are the responsibilities? Mm-hmm. Where would you land? Is there like a hierarchy to the board? Sort of. Okay. Um. So responsibility of the education of every citizen in the province is um, the provincial government. 
So we have something called the Ministry of Child Care, sorry, Ministry of Education and Child Care, yes. which was just updated because it was called the Ministry of Education, and now it's the Ministry of Education and Child Care. Okay. Because we're integrating child care into um, the school districts. Mm. Um, but I won't go into that yet. <laughs> <laughs> so the um, curriculum and resources are provided through the province so that everyone in BC has a equal education. It's supposed mm. to be an equalizer. Public education is meant for everyone to have access to it. So when you leave, you have all equal. It's, ideally, you're supposed to have equal access to the world with the same education mm. on, and opportunities. But the only way to really provide that is to have a localized governance for some really specific things. Um, that's why the, the responsibilities of a trustee are actually quite narrow. Um, so it's things like budget, but even that, it's, it's a small, minute part of the budget. Mm. Um, so uh, it's per student. So it's a, a number per student that the, each district gets. So an enrollment bar student is uh, essentially a, a revenue for the school, but that's spent on teachers' salaries and resources and keeping the lights on. And so... Um, you're responsible for, as a trustee for a small part of the budget on things like, um, and I think the best example is one that Jared Mumford gave on how to create a localized and why localized governance is important, um, is something like busing. Mm. Um, the minister of education would never know what a Chilliwack student needs for busing. Right. So the trustee's job is to create a busing policy that says, for example, our busing policy is that we have um, catchments. And if you lie within the catchment, you can be bused in. And although we want to make sure everyone has access to their ed education. So if you need a bus and you don't fall within the catchment, you still have opportunities to do so. So that's just a general policy. We don't say um, this is how you hire bus drivers. This is how you drive. Right. This is how you we make those. So just a general policy. Right. So I think that's a great example of why a local representative is important just for those important little pieces. But you don't make curriculum. We don't say, right. you know, teach about gay people. Right, <laughs> teach, right, right. Teach that gay is the only way. Right. Um, we could never and would never, and that's not possible. <laughs> and yeah. That's not something we're doing, despite being told that that's exactly what we're doing. Mm. But the other things that a trustee does, it, so there's seven of us. Okay. And we're all supposed to um, review what the superintendent and the executive create for us. And there's also... Um, committees that create policies and that we're supposed to sit on those as well. And then those policies come to our desk and we're supposed to read them and then come together and discuss them mm. and hear from the community about them and then vote on whether to pass them or have them go back for review. And then if they're passed, we are supposed to, whether we pass a vote of yay or nay, stand behind it as one voice. So that's what I was just about to ask because... You know, seven's not a big number, but at the same time, it's a big number. And so if everybody's coming from a different stance on things, how do you get anything done? I'm very cynical. Okay, so my <laughs> mind immediately goes to like, if you're always on the wrong side of a vote, you're never going to get anything that you value through the door. And I'm not I'm not saying you specifically, Terry. I just mm -hmm. mean like anybody mm -hmm. on the board, mm -hmm. right? How do you then you just have to swallow that and stand behind whatever is pushed through? Well, that's why it's it's really important that we vote so that people right. who listen and are willing to take in information are, are the ones that are at, 
at the have the seat at the table because mm-hmm. it's not about them right. as a trustee. Like you, you don't run as a trustee because you want to get your ideas on the table. You, you're supposed to at least run as a trustee or any political position to represent your community mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and bring those voices to the table and make it better for everybody. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I, I just don't get people who run it for their own What's purposes. The yeah, totally. I don't know if that answers the question. Well, <laughs> I guess, I guess, like. You know what? We'll leave my cynicism aside <laughs> for now. Right. Ideally, you're supposed to really talk and um, right. come together. And it's the same thing with our provincial and federal governments as well. Like we constantly see fighting, but um, behind the door, they're all working together to make bills and things like that. And right. um, you are supposed to not make it personal and you're supposed to make it about the work and get stuff done for your community. So that's what you got to do. Okay. So when you get elected into this board, do you come forward and you're like, this is what I would love to see in the school. And then you guys, all seven of you like talk about it. And like, how does that work? So you just continue the function of the board the way that the previous board had done. So um, there's only one employee technically, and that's the superintendent. And then the the rest of the school board is the employee of the superintendent. So it's this like we govern Mm. the school and then the superintendent actually is responsible for the operations based on the governance we provide. Mm. Um, And the policies are written by all sorts of different community members and committee members. So you as a trustee, um, you just start bringing your lens to the policies that come to your table. So if, for example, six or seven trustees that were progressive came to the table, we start getting policies that come across and they're not inclusive. They're completely missing out. Uh, there's major gaps that we identify because of our um, I, our lenses. Um, we, can make, we can identify them. Whereas someone who... We have a lot of privilege and may not see the gaps in the, in those policies would pass them. Mm. And then the students would suffer, right? right. Because they're, they wouldn't be represented in the policies. Right. So that's really where you come as a person. And so what what is your opinion of the current board that's kind of like been the last four years? So there's um, the, the structure is a chair and a co-chair and it's a, it's a, a vote amongst the seven. Um, so that's been shuffled. So it's been Rilla Reichelt and uh, Jared Mumford were the chair and co-chairs. Dan Coulter is now MLA. He was the chair for many years, uh, for the years that he was the uh, school trustee. And he he's very well supported in this town. He had the most votes for any school trustee, like I think of all time. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then um, he went on to be the MLA and won his seat at the MLA. What's so, an MLA? Um, member of Legislative Assembly for the BC government. Oh, so he's okay, a pro- okay. He's the provincial. Um, Dang. Yeah. Okay. So he's a very popular. So he left, and then we had uh, a by-election. That's when Dr. Karen Bondar came in, and uh, that by-election saw the most votes of all time ever for Chilliwack for an election, uh, for a by-election. It was like thousands of people came out for it. And so that election happened specifically because he had left and a position became available. Yeah, Otherwise, right. it wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Got it. Wow. So the the structure has been majority progressive, but it's there's been a lot of tension because there's been people who don't understand why we're making these moves, who keep saying horrible things mm. in their like attempt to gain control in a like political way with society and and it's worked because they've created so much misinformation that um, we're constantly harassed mm. by people saying 
awful things. Really? Um, like to you personally? Yes. Like to your face? Not to our face, of course. Of course not. not. Hello. They, they need Keyboard to, warriors, baby. Yes. They're not, they don't have enough bravery for that. Uh, but especially women, the women um, candidates. So Willow, Karen, oh. and Margaret have been getting really awful messages by some of the local people who believe the misinformation. Oh. Okay, I don't want to like spread propaganda <laughs> here, but like what kind of I'm so out of the know. What kind of information is being spread or misinformation? Well, it's actually a good question because again, we've already talked about Soji and why we have these books in our schools and it's because the representation of these diverse backgrounds and identities and experiences constitutionally need to be in our schools so that they have access to different stories that represent different ideas. Mm-hmm. So there are books um that have things in them that they don't like so i don't know if you've ever read 1984 yes it was assigned to myself and my partner both uh, in school in high school and there are sex scenes in it there's a relationship between them the old man and the woman yeah um and they describe it uh in the book right do you think that's the book they want to pull of course not no heterosexual relationship that's right and it's uh, in the curriculum yeah yeah so the books they want to pull is one it's an autobiography it's in the library so it's an optional book that someone right. can check out it's a free choice for the child to go and do it um and again it's it's in a section marked for ya it's a ya novel a published ya novel it is very lawfully published yeah with this information it's this man he's um, a black gay man and he grew up i can't even remember somewhere in america and it was his experience in in his life being a black gay man and um what it meant for him so he had a trans cousin and he thought he had to be a girl Mm. literally the opposite experience of me Mm. and then he realized oh no he can actually just be gay and then he thought he had to be a feminine gay man and he met this um group uh, in college he went to a black college and he found his black identity and then he went to um a um what's the thing with the they do in american colleges strat a frat frat a strat <laughs> a fraternity a frat. yeah yeah that's the one <laughs> that's the one he went to a fraternity and he discovered his manliness as a okay. manhood through there so he could mm. be a black gay man and still be gay and still be black and be himself and he had all this experience in there and it was beautiful and part of his experience as well was that he had a sexual assault mm. and he had a whole chapter in it about why it happened and how it could have been prevented mm. and what happened to the person who did it and why they did it and what the, his experience would have been like and he describes for a brief couple of paragraphs what happened and they want to pull the book for that stop yeah for a couple of paragraphs yeah and there's other books similar to that that they want to pull they want to pull it for what reason like what are they citing as the reason it's too vulgar it's too they're literally just highlighting the dirty words and saying that and then spreading those around and saying it's child pornography and it's illegal and they actually think that the cops should be involved and that it's a it's a breaking minor laws and i'm like this is literally a ya published novel it is not illegal it could never be illegal are my jaw is literally on the floor right now yes i die what the heck what the actual what the actual and i try to explain this to them over and over again like please use logic there is no way these are illegal books the cops are going to tell you you are wasting their time you're actually hurting professional people like our teacher librarians are 
are the fodder to this. Right. And I feel horrible for them because mm. they're doing their best. Like I said, all the teachers and their stuff, they're on the front lines of this. Yeah. And they're literally just fodder to this misinformation on their trudging way to try to get onto the school board and have power. Oh, my goodness. That's so heavy. But like, this is, isn't this so true for like people just using their influence for, I mean, okay, here's the thing. I was just going to say for negativity, but I'm sure in those people's minds, they believe in what they're doing and they believe that that's the right call. That doesn't mean that it is, but they believe that it is. And, uh, what's scary about that is the same thing we were talking about earlier about like media and all these things like impacting our kids in such mm -hmm. ways. I can't even, I can't even believe this. I'm actually like still processing the fact that they want they the cops also, involved. They also, it's a very fascinating because mm. like I said, I have privileges of passing as a white straight man mm. and I am, I'm with a, a woman. I'm right, right, right. married to someone who passes as a woman as well. And so we were, we have privilege and I could easily just pretend like I'm yeah. cis and whatever and just lean into my privilege, but I don't. Yeah. Um, but Oh, I totally forgot what I was going with. <laughs> <laughs> well, because that's such a loaded sentence. It's yeah. so true. Like what you were just saying is so powerful, right? Like you could meet somebody today that has no idea about your past and you could just yeah. be like, yeah, this is me. This has always been me. This is how I've always been. And you could just go that way. But for what benefit? Oh, yeah, that's where I was going with it. So they don't seem to be coming for me for my identity. Oh. Um, so these these particular groups of people who are convinced about the sexualization in our schools they are trying to say that they're not homophobic. And so when they talk about the book banning, they're specifically over and over again saying this isn't about LGBT. This is about sexualization of our kids in school. And I, we try to get them to understand like that's that's a, a mis that's a misinformation. You're lying. Someone is giving you information that's just not true. And I need you to please look into this more because mm. um, someone is trying to trick you. Mm. And I, I believe like, in you your saying heart. That to? The, these people who who are coming at us saying that like there's sexualization happening in our schools and I'm trying to get them to understand like to please look into that more yeah, yeah. because who's who's telling you that and how does it benefit them mm. and um, because the reality is that this that's not happening. So are those people coming at you saying these things like those those are parents in the community kind of thing? Yeah. Like, OK, just They're regular civilians. So that's what I was trying to say, actually. Yes. Um, I think that they genuinely think this is happening and they, right. they're genuinely scared and they are um, actually probably genuinely upset. And uh, I think that it's really unfortunate that they're being misled like yeah. this because if this was true. That's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want you to be this yeah. upset, but it's not. Right. And it's benefiting a certain amount of people for you to think that it's true. Right, right, and right. please look into that because that's what a conspiracy theory mm. is. Mm -hmm. It's benefiting a certain group of people. Okay. So um, what do you say to the people that would turn that around on you and say, okay, but you believe this and th what you believe isn't true. Like, how do you combat that? What they believe is in their minds, like, like it's real for me because like I'm real. Yeah. Right. And for them, it's fear. Like it's mm. based on like for in this specific instance, the sexualization of children in our schools isn't real because it's just made up. Mm. They're ba basing it off of, like I said, like pulling a sentence out of a right, book right. that they've never read and they don't know the context of it and they don't know what students have access to it and how the school works. They're being fed things that aren't true, mm. um, the snippets of things. Um, but the, re the reality of what's actually happening in our schools is 
that kids are 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 not safe in a way that um, actually it's hurting LGBT kids mm. because this type of messaging trickles. Excuse me. This type of messaging trickles down to them, and then now who's going to go and check out that book? And so they're now not getting access to the book mm. because they're scared to check it out mm-hmm, rather mm-hmm. than being actually barred to check mm-hmm. it out. Um, so it affects them in different ways. So when you say like sexualization of the children. Do you mean like um, like they're being exposed to things that they shouldn't be exposed to at this age? Or do you mean like, like, how do you mean that? Yeah, they think that that like three-year-olds and six-year-olds are going and checking out this right. like okay. heavily Got graphic it. novel. Um, but that's not what's happening. Right, right, right. Yeah. They being the keyboard warriors and yeah. the people that yeah. are believing this vivid narrative. Yes. Okay. And the way they describe it too, I've had to delete it off of my page because I can't mm. have the way, the words that they use on my page. Oh no. Their words are have more heavily graphic than the library books that they're describing. Really? Yes. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. See, uh, man. I know that's just like, I don't know how to handle them because no, they believe it passionately. Mm. It's to their core. They think that they're working hard for children. And, and I think that if it was true, I thank them for that behavior. Mm-hmm. But it's not true, and I wish I could show them that they're being misled. Right. Yeah, but yeah. then it's like, how do you do that? You can't, like, some people don't want want their eyes opened, I guess, in some ways. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, it's like, I don't know, I guess I guess I have compassion for, for those types of people because it's like you believe what you believe, and that would be fucking terrifying. That would be terrifying. Yeah, yeah. If if I had a kid in, a, in school and I heard that, I would, well, I mean, I would be so scared that I would immediately Google it and look into it, but I would be terrified, of yeah. course, right? And like that is, I mean, it's infuriating to think that that could happen. It's infuriating to think that people are using that to their advantage to advance their position or whatever. But again, I, I, I really have no knowledge outside of like what you're telling me right now. All I've heard is that there's been like a lot of talk and a lot of like um, controversy over this part of the election and like, but I mean, I think it was Ian, somebody told me recently, like, you know, you, you better start caring because your kids are going to be in school sooner than later. I mean, my kids are three and one, mm-hmm. so like it's a little ways off, but not that far off, you know? So, well, and we're about to, there's already some early child care, um, being integrated into the school mm. and there's going to be more of that coming soon. So right. maybe by the time your one-year-old's three, he will be, or they will be starting to go to the school. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, I've said a thousand times in this conversation and in my conversation with Ian that like, I really don't know anything about politics and I've always been like, okay with that. Like, just because I, first of all, I don't understand half the words that come out in those kinds of conversations. (laughs) I'm like, what are you actually talking in a different language? What's happening? (laughs) But then like, I'm starting to realize more. And just as I go through like my own journey of like understanding my childhood, my past, like who I am, why I am the way that I am, all of these things. And like, I recognize, which I've mentioned a few times already that like, you know, outside factors and like media and all of these, these things that like we all have constant access to shape us. They affect us. Mm -hmm. And we do carry that stuff with us as we grow and evolve and meet other people and form new relationships. And obviously that's going to happen with my kids too. And it just seems to be happening faster and faster as they get younger and younger and more and more exposed to all of these things. And so I'm kind of coming to this realization that like, wake up girl. Like you need to start paying attention. Like you need to like, you need to see what's happening around you kind of thing. And I mean, I'm not suggesting that like I'm going to be running for mayor anytime soon. I promise you that. But like just to open my eyes and like be aware of these things and like having conversation with people that are a lot 
more aware and and um active in the community than I am is it's been a huge eye opener for me. I wonder um in your case like you had just kind of mentioned that, you know, they weren't coming for you specifically, like for your identity or anything like that. Are there people out there that are, are talking because you are very transparent and very open in this community? I really, it's a good question because I speculate a lot about that Mm. and I have a lot of theories, but I have no way to confirm them. Um, I know I look young and so I think a big part of my theory is that because I'm young and LGBT, maybe they've, I've just been completely written off, uh, as not a, a threat, um, ah. um, or maybe they're talking about me behind closed doors because they know that if they get caught saying nasty things about a trans person, they'll be immediately called out yeah, as a bigot yeah. right and that would not be a good look for them so it's really hard to say because um a lot of things can be i can't even think of the word um subtle ah. subtle like especially misogyny <sighs> um it's like you, people can say things that don't people don't identify as as yeah. you know bigoted mm-hmm. um but the people that it affects are like what, what did you just say? Why would you say that? Yeah, and then totally. everyone else is like, well, calm down. What's the matter? He just yeah, said yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. It's like, you don't even understand right. what he really said when he said that. So uh, that happens a lot with women. But with trans, I think it's more overt. Mm. Um, I think it's hard to say something about a trans person that people don't immediately know. Like, oh, you're just being a transphobe. Right, 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 right. So I think that could be why there's not as much stuff in my face. Like, honestly, that's, it's like either I get very little what what I've seen from the women is what they get a lot of nasty messages. Like, yeah. like I, I think as a woman, you probably know what I'm talking about. But for me, the things that I get are like, Oh, you're, you're like Satan brings, don't bring Satan to my school mm. or like, or like disgusting or, you know, just dumb things that does just roll right off my back. It's not as like, personal so i but there's no middle there hasn't been people like being like oh he's trans he shouldn't be in our schools like Mm. nothing like that i mean that's good yeah it's very good good. i've been very we were very trepidatious because what happened in the by-election i'm not sure if you're familiar with happened so doctor i'm politically illiterate okay okay? it was uh, it was headlines so oh okay no but not to say anything i'm just i'm just out (laughs) of here cool just because it was so egregious so Dr. Karen Bondar ran in the by-election. There was uh, Dr. Bondar, uh, Richard Percy, and Adam Suleiman, who were the or um, Brian Van Garderen, who is actually running again this time and is a great uh, inclusive ally. So she is a science communicator. She has her PhD in biology, and she has her a YouTube channel with literally millions of views. Oh. She's been on Discovery Network. She's actually had a, been on a show with. Um, Oh gosh, what's this? So it's like Science Network and all that kind of what? stuff. She's got tons of shows. Um, she's basically famous as far as biology goes. And she has her own YouTube channel where she's done um, mock videos, essentially like, um, what are they called? Parodies. Oh, okay. So yeah. she made a parody of Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball. Oh. It's amazing. You have to look it up. I if do. Anyone listening right now, like just Google it right now and watch this <laughs> Wrecking Ball <laughs> because uh, it's awesome 
And there was a screenshot in it. I don't know if you're familiar with the Wrecking Ball. Who is Just not? as Miley Cyrus swings, so does Dr. Bondar. And um, there's one scene where she's swinging, and it's it's awesome. And it's all about empowerment. Dr. Bondar is about female empowerment, especially in science. And there's no holding back what she's going to be able to do and willing to do to, to bring, you know, science literacy to the world, including swinging on a wrecking ball. <laughs> and that's what's awesome about her. And they thought that it wasn't awesome. And uh, they took a screenshot. Stop. And they put it on a billboard. Shut up. Uh, what? Yes. Yes. Talk about misogyny. This wait, wait, wait. About. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Somebody took a screenshot of Dr. Bonner on a wrecking ball, blew it up, threw it on a billboard, and put it up where? So luck, where Lucka Cut comes around. In and our it's city? Field. Yes. First of all, do I even live here? What the hell? How <laughs> yeah. did I know? When was this? Well, it was it was up for maybe half a day because we all acted so quickly to get it Good. down. And, yeah. and it was even put up without permission of the landowner. Oh, stop. What? So the landowner was the one who came and said, do you want to come and take this billboard? Get down this off your my own? property. So we had our own billboard printed within 24 hours and we put it up and we placed it because literally her body was on a billboard stop yeah who the fuck is doing that well we never really got confirmation but we have enough evidence to have a good guess that it was some of the opposing that's right Oppo- okay wait wait opposing what what was she so, running for so she's running for school board trustee along with me today yeah um, and there are other candidates who are running today who probably were responsible for that so this just happened like five minutes ago kind of thing. it happened a year and a half ago okay okay, okay. Yeah. what at the by-election yeah bro so when that happened a year and a half ago and i stepped forward this year i was expecting something on the same <laughs> your lines. body on a billboard <laughs> yeah and i mean i've had i, I do have a couple of selfies out there but nothing nothing like a little yeah yeah like that but still i was expecting um especially being a transgender <laughs> man i was expecting misogyny but um because i i'm so passing i don't know these are my theories right i don't know why they maybe learned their lesson they understand that it's not acceptable do you think i don't know I don't know because there have been people spray painting groomer on Dr. Bondar's sign and on Willow Reichelt's sign. This is the horrendous stuff that that's getting passed around because my of misinformation. Right my fucking face. I am <laughs> infuriated. Yeah. Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah, it's a lot. That's disgusting. It is. That's literally disgusting. Okay, so so hold on. Like just for the story's sake and and all this stuff like so she <laughs> at the bylaw, she or by election. By election. Bylaw. Oh my god. Um she was running at that time for the school board as well? She was, yeah. Okay, okay. And so obviously at a by-election, there's like multiple people running. Yes. And so you guys were speculating that it was someone else running for school board as well. Yeah, it was speculation with evidence, but I don't want right. to say. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. of course. No, I would not ask you for that. That just seems like some crazy, like dirty political shit you see on TV. Like that does not yeah. even seem real. It was so disgusting. We were. Whoa, yeah. It, the thing that. That poor woman. She was not like it, the mental health recovery from that situation mm. was like trauma. I mean, of right? course. So then we had an outpouring of support. Like, so I was helping her on her campaign uh-huh. and I saw all the people coming and the messages because it made it to the news. Mm. So the messages that were coming through, uh, people saying like, this is disgusting. I can't believe this happened to you. Um, and they donated. And like we saw uh, the vote came out. And so really it backfired. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, Dr. Rondar won. But now that it's a a full election everyone is rerunning so dr rondar is running again and she's on uh one of the progressives uh mm. with us so there's so that you can vote for seven 
but um the way that it works is like say for example you voted for the six progressives and then a seventh choice and then someone else voted for the six conservatives and then a seventh choice that seventh choice would have two votes whereas the rest mm. of us would have one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so there's strategic voting that way um like i wouldn't recommend you throw away a vote or anything along those lines but there's ways that you can strategize to make sure your candidates get voted in or get the most vote right in that the sense. impact yeah, yeah. Holy cow. The, the Wow. I'm like still digesting all of that information because yeah. that is so wild. And it's like one of those things that you just don't think would happen here, like in your hometown and all that crap. Like, mm-hmm. but you were like, oh, it backfired and she won anyways. And it's like, I mean, yeah, like malice never wins. Hello. Yeah. Like that's so, so perhaps they learned their lesson. Fingers freaking crossed. Yeah. Cause and honestly, I could probably talk for another hour about all the things that oh some gosh. of these current candidates have done in mm-hmm. the last four years and mm-hmm. beyond, but it'd be a very downer episode. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> yeah. why pour energy into like, yeah. you know, the people that are committing these terrible That's acts. Right. That's why my slogan is forward. Yes. Together. I, was, yeah. I just want to just move forward. I'm totally. done talking about it. I'm done fighting for Soji. That's something we don't even have to fight for. It's over. Right. I'm done talking about banning books. It's something we can't even do. It's it, it's something that we need to talk about because obviously people are um, falling for it. And mm-hmm. so the fight is not over, mm-hmm. even though we can't do anything about it. And so that's why we, kill, we still fight. Mm-hmm. But it's such a waste of energy. Mm-hmm. And we've done such amazing things in the school board like i've been watching for the last few years and thankfully they're now back in person so we get to be that back in person like feel Mm -hmm. but um the things they've done are amazing um they've opened two new schools they've they've have indigenized so they're trying to indigenize the curriculum they've and put uh names on some of the new schools Mm. um they have an indigenous leader teacher they have a specific name i'm totally forgetting what it is but they have uh, really committed to inclusion. They have gender-neutral washrooms in one of the schools. One, one, one. gender-neutral washroom, but still. And it's just all this amazing work could be happening twice over right. if we weren't just if we could just stop wasting energy fighting. Yeah, yeah, that that makes perfect sense. I mean, at least to me, like, yeah. Hopefully, we can just get that that message out there. Like, let's not fight, mm-hmm. guys. It's like, like I said, it's baseline humanity mm-hmm. to make sure everyone's included, supported, and have access to their education. That's the whole point of public education. Mm-hmm. If you're not fighting to make sure everyone has access and is safe there, so that they're learning and succeeding, why are you there? You suck. <laughs> um, I have like the hardest time with that. Like just, I always battle with the notion that like not everybody's going to do what I would do or not everybody's going to treat people the way that I would treat, you know, or treat me the way that I would treat them or treat someone else the way that, and I'm just like, but guys, why, why is it so hard to understand that we're literally all just humans? Mm -hmm. We're all like doing, I mean, varying obviously scales and situations and whatever, but like we're all experiencing life. We're all here at the same time. Why are we at each other's throats? Like, what is the actual point? And like with COVID that just skyrocketed, just everybody being at each other's throats and all these things <laughs> that like, ugh, are just a tale for another time. It's its own two hour episode in itself. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like, guys, we just need to be buddies. Like we all just, we don't have to like love each other. We don't even all have to like each other, but can we just be kind to each other? Yes. I saw this really awesome uh, teacher who wrote on their board, like you don't have to be everyone's friend, mm. but you 
you do have to be kind, mm-hmm. right? That's all we ask is just some kindness. And is that so fucking hard? Like, is yeah. that so hard? <laughs> I feel like no, ma'am. It no. does not. No. And like, I know that like, people are going through their own stuff and uh, they like to, you know, project onto others. And, and there's a whole slew of social things that humans do is because that's what we are. We're messy humans. Yes. And that's why I try my best to like give grace to people when yeah. they come to me like, with issues or concerns, try to see, you know, like we said, are they really, they're really concerned. So let's focus yeah. on that and try to help them instead of looking at what they're saying and being so angry about mm-hmm. what they're saying. It's like, Hey, I see you're concerned. Mm-hmm. Maybe let's unpack that. Right. Right. Um, rather than being like, how dare you? Right. But not everyone has the capacity and, and that is true. And especially trauma. And like I said, I've been loved my whole life and that's why I have room Mm-hmm. for that mm-hmm. it's hard too because like i mean i have to believe that people's intentions are are good um but it mm, doesn't always play out in the best way you know because they're so passionate or or whatever and even just like that's what i was saying about you know whoever's spreading this misinformation like they truly believe that and so their intention is good in trying to rectify this situation that they think needs that but step outside your experience every now and then right exactly. like i found to be the truest statement i've ever heard is that the road to hell is paved with good, good intentions. intentions baby. So if you don't take the time to figure out who you're representing and are you doing it mm-hmm. right, making sure that, you know, you're what you're doing is right, mm-hmm. your intentions don't really matter. Matter, yeah, totally. Someone said to me once, intentions versus impact. Yes. And I was like, Holy shit. Like and it hurt, right? Because yeah. I, I had hurt that person, obviously unintentionally. And I mm-hmm. said that was never my intention. I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, Yeah, no, thank you. Like but sometimes your intentions and your impact don't line up. And I was like, like yeah. it literally just rocked my whole world for a minute. Cause I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like obviously my intention is not that I'm going to hurt people. And also I'm still going to hurt people sometimes. That's right. So what do you do after you know that you're hurting someone? That's what matters is how you handle that, how you move forward, how you like rectify that situation. Mm-hmm. And I mean, really forward is the only way. And do you move forward together right, when you let right. your guard down and stop being so ego protected and mm. like being defensive mm. and or and you know move forward alone by saying you know, I'm right and they're wrong and I'm not going to listen I'm not going to change right. or do you stop that and say oh yeah I didn't mean that but now I'm going to make change and so you let your guard down and you make that right. and you move forward together right yeah I love that like it's so I had read that on on your website literally yesterday when I heard about you (laughs) and I was like, Oh man, like it's so simple. It's so like, it's so easy, but it means so much. And it's so, so not easy sometimes, you know, to like, Mm -hmm. it should be easy, but then it's not because there's all these obstacles in the way and all of these, you know, things that like biases and narratives that were inflicted upon some people that get in the way of moving forward together and just being kind and all of these things. Like, you know, it's really easy for me to say, is it really that hard? Because I come from, you know, a diverse family and I have always had tons of different types of people around me. You know, I I can see the difficulty for people that have only ever known one thing or have only ever seen one thing or have been really sheltered from the real world, dare I call it that. And like, (laughs) I get why, especially as you get older, right? When you're like uh, an adult who's been set in their ways and has only experienced these things, it's it can be hard to change all of that up. But like I said earlier, like it takes some courage to, you know, challenge your 
current life and also that's necessary because why yeah. would you want to be stagnant and there, there's a limit to kindness to like not long i shouldn't say a limit to kindness but there comes a point where you have to decide like who you're being kind to uh. because it's like the paradox of tolerance you know you can't tolerate intolerance because then it becomes intolerance again mm. so if, if someone comes up and says you know my view is that there's only two genders are you going to tolerate me and my views and accept me for who i am and my views and i'm like i, I no <laughs> yeah. i can't tolerate your intolerance i'm not going to accept your view of something that's hurtful and hateful right, right. so as much as i can be kind to that person and say I kindly would like to see you out because no, yeah. I'm not going to accept your view yeah. here. You're hurting other people. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily to them isn't kind because they're not welcome anymore. Right. I mean, I guess, yeah, you're right. Cause kindness is, is relative, right? Yeah. Like it depends on who you are and what kindness means. And I've had that conversation with people close to me before where like this person thinks that this thing is kindness. And I'm like, that's fucking rude. <laughs> like that's so rude. Don't, you can't say that or do that or whatever. And they're like, why? That's not rude. And, but, but like the thing is, like you said, I can kindly see you out and also never, never see you again yes, kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah, they might take that as like unkindness, but you do have to hold that boundary. Like whatever, mm -hmm. whatever the situation is, whatever that boundary is, for you, like you can't sacrifice your own peace and your own self for someone else's or point others, of view or others peace and others. Sense exactly. Of self. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. And uh, like, I don't know, I've had this conversation before where it's like, what is maliciousness? And I, I mean, again, it varies, right? That is also relative. But for me, like, again, I kind of have to believe that people aren't intentionally being malicious. I can't see a world where that's like, yeah. I mean, existing. there's, there's some people who say that if you're, you're intentionally not learning, you're intentionally not growing, there's malice to that as well. Uh, yeah. Um, in a sense where like you, and you've seen people too. I, I don't know if you have, but I've seen people, um, <laughs> They get to a point where they're like, you know, why should I change? Oh, my. F yes. And, and they're like, it's them who should change. You know, oh there's a principal Skinner meme like, Ugh. is it me who's wrong? No, the children who are wrong. Yeah. You know, it's it's that kind of thing where it's at the point where like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you you know yeah. what you're doing is, is wrong by not yeah. uh, growing. Yeah. Um, That's one thing that I say a lot <laughs> on here as well is like podcast is such a great medium because you get to hear someone else's POV. And you don't have to respond. So like everybody who's totally. listening to this, they don't have to agree with us. They don't have to agree with you. They don't have to agree with what I'm saying. But like now they've heard it. And so they're going to think about it. You know what I mean? Like now that's hit them. And what they do with that is up to them. But I find and I have experienced in conversations like when you say something that somebody disagrees with face to face in a conversation, especially someone who's like unhealthy or um uh, not open-minded or whatever, there's this like intense level of defense. And then they just start spewing their opinion. And we saw this a lot in COVID too, where like everybody's at odds with each other because everybody believes so strongly what they believe in, which is great. Believe that. But also I can believe what I believe and you can believe what you believe. And we can still have a conversation that doesn't have to be hurtful and heated and aggressive and all of these things that you just see on the rise and that's where I have a hard time and that's where I struggle and go back and forth between like maliciousness or um like where's the line 
as far as, yeah, like not growing or, or intentionally not learning because at some point you're being lame, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. and I mean, I've have experienced being a keyboard warrior mm. um I, like i said before like when people are like in in their feelings yeah um they tend to project outwards mm-hmm. and and use other people as a way as an outlet for their emotions absolutely and i think social media is another place where people do that and i'm speaking from experience where i've gone to facebook i already feel mad i go right. seeking out okay seeking out something that mm-hmm. makes me mad go looking for a comment that's against my belief mm-hmm. and then i go and quote unquote educate that person right and i'm just using that person as a scapegoat to get my feelings out because i have no control right. over the things that are making me mad so the only way to have any control is to quote unquote educate the yeah. people who are making it the quote unquote problem right right um and so it's more an outlet without me realizing the impact and it's taken me these years of working in community to realize that like, and personally experiencing it myself, the impact is there. Like you may Mm. feel like you're screaming into a void um, or you may feel like you're doing the right thing by telling this person why they're wrong. But in reality, you're just healing yourself. Yeah. Going through whatever emotions you're all going through. It doesn't really, it's just kind of seems like a waste of energy. Totally. Yeah. Well, there is that thing of like hurt people, hurt people kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, what's hard for me and the one of the things that I struggle with the most, like in relationships, especially with people, um, older than me, I have a really hard time with actually, you know what? Scratch the older than me part. I have a really hard time with people who are unwilling to grow or Mm -hmm. learn. Um, and for me being educated in something is knowing both sides of the story. Right. And then that doesn't mean that you have to land on one side or the other, you know, like, like seeing both sides, honestly can be very fulfilling. It's true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and like, it's hard for me when people refuse to see outside their lens. And then, you know, you talk about Facebook and you go seeking things out and whatever. Well, social media is pretty good at showing you what you already believe. And then that confirmation bias just like really compounds that narrative and gives people the, uh, confidence to go out there and just spew whatever they believe without thinking of the impact that it has on someone who believes something different or worse someone who is the target or victim of whatever thing you're believing yes i live by no better do better and i know people who have been exposed to the quote like no better side of the story and they're not doing better and i'm just like want to shake them and be like hello like (laughs) come on man like snap out of it but you can't force anybody to do anything yeah they have to be open to yeah to learning and challenging themselves and so very complex like humans are very complex yes (laughs) I, i mean it requires a lot of patience yeah to be especially like in a position like you where you're you're like a public figure now you know and and like you are in the public eye and people know your name and you are pining for a position that then people need to like trust you and all of these things and obviously that comes with a lot of responsibility as well i i mean i commend you uh, that 
I don't know if I can take on all of that responsibility, but then at the same time, you've been, you've been in the community, like you've been doing things, you've been taking steps. And it sounds like at least from, you know, the last two hours of knowing you that this seems like a natural next step for you to move forward in this way. Yeah. I, um, it definitely would, I would agree with that in the sense of like, just with the creation of the gender support network and then the gentle mm. pride society, you know, I didn't do this intentionally, but it's taken me a long time to actually realize it. Um, is that it's like I became a representative mm. for the change that Chilliwack needs to have because everyone feels it, but there's never been a face to it or a figure to it. So people see that between GSN and Pride and even the downtown Chilliwack market, things that I do create lasting change and, and they can trust them and rely on them to, mm-hmm. to continue to show up for them. Mm-hmm. And um, I will continue to do that in the school board. And I think that the momentum uh people know that this change is coming and it's needed and knowing that i could be the first trans man ever elected in canada yeah it really brings that home to say like this is like the cutting edge of progress and uh we're gonna it's gonna be here in chilliwack i was just gonna say i would love that to be here i would love that to be you know here at home for us like what a like honor you know, like how amazing for you to be like, to have that title, to be the first, like that's some pioneer shit right there. Like that's amazing. <laughs> I actually just did um, something called standout through my work with United Way. And they ask you some questions you have to answer within 30 seconds. Oh. And it's a situational questions like, what would you do if, if this happened? And what would you if that happened? And oh, it dear. gives you two personality traits and there was creator and pioneer interesting yeah yeah okay that kind of like pop quiz is too stressful for me (laughs) like 30 (laughs) seconds to answer oh my goodness I'm so happy that you're you came like this has been so wonderful and you again I've known you for all of two hours Uh, like I've known your name for all of 24 hours (laughs) and you're such a light like you can just see it like you radiate huge Thank you. It's unreal. Like you, I mean, I did one quick Google search and I was like, holy shit, there's so much information here. Like (laughs) you have done so much. You have so many, um, titles, like you're on so many boards and you've started so many things and I can't, I can't even like wrap my brain around it. And I literally, I'm just like obsessed with you. Like I just, <laughs> well, thank you. I want to know everything about you. Like I want to spend all my days like hanging out with you. Cause you're so, um, what is the word that I'm looking for? you're just very vibrant. Like you can just tell, like you have so much positive energy. It's infectious. It it just like, it feels good. You know, it's a vibe that I get back from the community. Mm. Um, and the more like I've been talking to the, like the more I actually feel myself like vibrating off the chair because, um, I've never really got an opportunity to talk about my whole story before, um, with the school board and like bits about here and there. And it really reminds me of the things that the community have been reaching out to me and telling me, uh, and it's, um, bringing it home for me, mm. um, the impact that I really do have. And it feels just like I have so many friends mm. and like my, my community is there for me. And, uh, I really feel like I belong. And that's something that I want everyone to feel yes. because it's so like just such a wonderful feeling to yeah. feel like you belong to your community, like you matter. Yeah. And that's, I just want everyone to feel that. Yeah. I mean, everybody deserves to feel that, right? Yeah, like they do. it's not, it shouldn't be an exclusive feeling. No. Yeah. Okay, I have one final question for you. <laughs> okay. What do people need to know about Terry the human being, not necessarily Terry the public figure or the advocate or the the candidate? Like all those things are you, but what do people need to know about you? Like give us the inside scoop. <laughs> 
at the end of the day, I don't represent myself anywhere I go or anything I do. Like I really am quite a shy person, really. No. I know. It's hard to believe. Whoa. Um, but sometimes when I have large events and I'm talking to a lot of people, I, I just need so much time to myself to mm. like re- regain energy. But the the what I get from talking to people is a new, almost a new identity, like a mask mm. of I'm doing this for them. And mm. I'm here for them. And so it's been very difficult to talk about myself and to put myself first and to put my face out there. But every time I, I do, it's about the community. It's for the next generation, for the kids, especially the ones who have heard their stories. And when it gets hard, I actually close my eyes and hear them say it to me again, mm. the things that they've gone through in school. And um, I get motivated again to go back out there and remind myself like why I'm doing this. Mm. And so when I do get elected, that's how I will be at the school board. And I, I've heard so many stories of parents saying like, I'm, no one's listening to me. And th- that just creates so much motivation for me to mm. be like, open doors transparency communication like all this needs to be changed like i I kind of feel like i'm laying myself on the railroad tracks Mm. but not not in the sense that i expect to to die right right but i feel like um i want to be a bridge to make to rock a better place because it feels like my purpose right and i get joy out of doing it so oh my gosh I am so freaking happy that we made this work. I am so grateful that you took time out of your life to come here and talk with me and share your story. It's it's so, yeah, it's so important. And I'm so glad that you are putting yourself first, putting your face out there, putting your story out there. Like people need to hear it. And clearly people are benefiting from you being out there. So thank you for joining me here today. Thank you for everything you do in the city. You are I can't even stop saying it. Like, you're just, you're (laughs) wonderful. Thank you very much, Terry. Thanks for having me. Good night. Bye. Oh, how cute was that? Either I'm in love with literally everyone or Terry is Mr. Still Your Girl because I could not stop singing his praises. I I, I don't know. Um, What an impactful and informative conversation. I, off the top, my very first thought, Terry is so knowledgeable. There was a lot of stats in there, a lot of information, um, of course, that I didn't know because I am not part of the trans community, but just in general, like it it didn't really sound like Terry's information was coming from a biased place, which I really liked. It was just like, seemed like purely fact and, and just like knowledge and information so that was really cool lots of background there uh of course on terry's personal story but just in general like on things that are happening in the community and not just to trans people also like the stuff that about the billboard and those kinds of things like i that caught me really off guard in at the time of the recording and it i kind of forgot about it honestly until i just heard it again and you know as you hear in the episode i'm not super political still not might be but uh yeah i forget that these things these like cutthroat things happen and it's just kind of yucky but anyways um another thing that i really liked about terry and our conversation is just like he's so even toned and even tempered hey like there's just not not that there's not a lot of like emotion to it. It's just like, this is how it is. Like, I, I don't know how to explain it to you. Even like the unjust things. Like I, I got frustrated at a few points and I was kind of vocal about that as I do be. And Terry just is so even tempered, like obviously not happy about the things that are happening, but also just like, yeah, 
that's right. Like this is, this is the way that it is for a lot of people out there. And that's kind of sad. I mean, I hope it's not like from a point of desensitization, obviously like Terry is very active and is an advocate and doing a lot of things. So I don't think it's that. I think it's just like reality that he's faced with day in and day out. I, that I don't experience, which I'm grateful for, but also just shows me how much, you know, work I need to do and how much more learning there is for me out there because I am and want to be an ally and an active ally. And I'm clearly not very active at this time because I just don't have that much information. It seems like another thing I noticed in this episode is that I almost talk like I do know, like contradictory to everything that I just said. And maybe that shows the growth that I've done since this was recorded, but I noticed that there was a few times that I was commenting like I knew what Terry or other people in the LGBTQIA plus community have experienced. And I don't, I do not at all. I know and love people who do have those experiences and who do know exactly what Terry was talking about, like firsthand in their own lives. Um, but I do not have that firsthand experience. And I just want to make that really, really clear. Like I did not have any intention of hijacking the conversation or making it seem like I knew what I was talking about. I really didn't at all. But again, I just want to be more active and want to continue to be an ally and continue to amplify the voices of the people that can share their firsthand, want to share their firsthand experiences. And yeah, I just, I thank Terry for coming on and being so candid and vulnerable and open and willing to share. And I'm excited to see what the future holds for Terry. And hopefully he's willing to come back and chat with me some more. I guess we'll see. In the meantime, we will be back two weeks from now with another vaulted episode. If you can't wait that long, we do have our newsletter that goes out bi-weekly, the opposite week of the episodes. So that would be next week. You will get a newsletter in your email. If you would like to sign up for that, that will be at stupid-cute.com. You can also follow along on social media at Stupid Cute Club for updates on the show and what's to come. And if you want more of my personal life and what I'm up to these days, I hang out in stories a lot and I post occasionally, <laughs> but that is at Haley Craig. All of those are linked in the show notes, as is Terry's information where you can find him and keep up with him. So be sure to go there, get that info, and I will see you guys in two weeks. Love you. Bye.